You are now tuned in to Saved and Woke. Yes, I am. What up, everybody? It's your boy, MSW. That's Mr. Saved and Woke, also known as Juan Enrique Tuse, here with another episode of the Saved and Woke podcast. I'm not going to take too much ado today. We're going to get right into it, but I'm here talking about a very, very interesting article that I saw a while back at the towards the beginning of the year, written by uh, a friend and pastor uh, by the name of Michael Brickhouse. Uh, it's titled... Uh, rejecting viral images of black death it was very thought-provoking it approached this issue in a way that i had never uh, heard before which i'll get into i'll explain in more detail um i am sure you all will enjoy this pastor brickhouse comes at this issue in just a very nuanced and thought-provoking way but without further ado enjoy all right everybody i am here with our guest for today to talk about a recent article of his entitled rejecting viral images of black death which was written by none other than pastor michael brickhouse michael thank you for joining us today Thank you for having me. Glad to be here today. Yeah. So just to give you all some background on my relationship with Michael. So Michael and I, we, we met back in college. We both attended UNC Chapel Hill. And I remember the first time I remember meeting you was when we were counselors uh, for Project Uplift. That's, is that right? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, Project Uplift is a uh, a recruitment program for minority and underserved populations to just get them attracted to the idea and the possibilities in higher education. That's where I met Mike. And yeah, I knew he was, I knew he was a wholesome guy back in college. I was not trying to live for the Lord. And uh, not that Michael was beating us over the head with Bibles, but I could tell that was like, I don't think Michael's like me. And, um, and uh, yeah, he's, uh, I could tell, I, I mean, I learned for, I think it was confirmed for sure, for sure that I was like, man, this brother's like safe, safe. Um, <laughs> and uh, after, after college, um, he obviously became a minister, but instead of me talking, I would like to just get some background before we get into your article, um, just about your, your upbringing or your introduction to to Christianity, like were you all, were you, did you grow up in church? Yeah. So, um, again, thanks for having me. And, um, <laughs> that's funny. I've never been described as save, save. So that's a new one for, for me, but really, I, uh, yeah, for real. <laughs> my, my friends would <laughs> probably say otherwise, really? <laughs> but, uh, but I grew up, yeah, I grew up in what I call a village model. So um, my mom uh, had me and I lived uh, with my mother and my grandparents um, 
uh, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so my, my grandmother and my grandfather um, ran a tight house, a Christian faith house. And so we had prayer uh, every night and uh, read scripture together. So uh, as a family, um, yeah, I was deeply rooted in faith and um, I accepted Christ at a young age. I remember one night after prayer, we were, we always ended in the Lord's prayer. And um, I just wanted to know like, who, who is this Jesus that taught his disciples to say, like, who is this guy that we keep, we keep referencing. And um, I found Christ uh, was led through the prayer of salvation in the home. Um, which uh, was different. Many people um, find Christ, you know, and accept Christ at church, but it was it was something it was something beautiful to actually experience that moment in 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 the household with uh, my grandparents. And um, thinking back to it, I'm still you know blown away and touched by just how much my family played in my faith formation. I recently lost my grandmother to COVID nineteen, so. So um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's still, uh, it's a good time to bring honor to her legacy and, and to the work that she uh, did for me and with, with me um, to help bring me to where I am today. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I had a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ. I discerned a call for ministry early in life, right around my junior year in high school. I knew that God was calling me to do something in ministry, but I also had aspirations. I wanted to be a, uh, at that time, a lawyer. And then when I got to Carolina, I realized I still wanted to be a lawyer and a higher ed attorney. I wanted to do um, work with universities and colleges. And uh, uh, thanks to uh, Terry Houston, you mentioned Project Uplift. I, I cannot uh, say Project Uplift without thinking about Terry Houston and others like Demi Brown and Lamont Stamps and April Mann, um, those administrators and staff members and professors, Reginald Hildebrand comes to mind, uh, Una Saleh, they really help reform my my what concept of ministry um, and think and in ways that they didn't even realize um, and so I was uh, planning to go to a program and then uh, the day that I was going to take the GRE God said to me exercise some faith you, you you say you have it exercise faith and I was like what do you mean he was like follow me so I applied to Duke Div that day and it was the only seminary that I applied to and God allowed me to get in and I went to seminary and, and been on that track ever since and find myself merging um, not only my, my passion for education, because now I work in higher ed, see how full circle, <laughs> uh, work in higher ed, but my passion for this, but also my call has come together and allowed me to do some phenomenal things for the Lord. So, Wow. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And could you explain like how you became or how you came to be a pastor? Because I know everyone, just because you are pursuing a master of divinity and you want to work in ministry in some way, doesn't automatically mean pastor. So how did you come to be the pastor? Yeah, of church? And let everybody question. know what, what, what your church is. Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm the senior pastor of uh, Cary First Christian Church. It's in Cary, North Carolina. 
We're one of the oldest African-American congregations in Cary. We're 153 years old um, as a congregation. And I'm, I serve as its 16th pastor. And um, I figured out that I had a call for pastoral ministry while I was in seminary. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something in ministry um, prior to going to seminary. I just didn't know what that was. But then I, I learned that I had a call for pastoral ministry because I love God's people, but also love uh, helping people deepen their faith and um, seeing that their faith is not just something abstract, but it is something that we live each and every day. It is how we carry ourselves, it's how we engage in the world, it's how we engage other people. And um, I wanted to be a part of uh, individuals' faith formation. And so I started working in more intently in the church uh, with some internships and then the door opened for me to apply to where I am now. And uh, I applied and uh, out of a number of candidates was called to serve as the pastor. And I've been up here going on five years. So it's been, it's been a great journey. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Yeah, so along the lines of you saying that you want to help people live out their faith, one thing that I noticed about you and that I appreciate about your, your ministry and your pastoring is that you speak directly to issues of social justice, not just in articles. Like I've, I've seen videos of you talking about this. Yeah. Um, so why, why do you do that? And the reason I ask why, it might seem like an odd question. And the reason I ask is just simply because there are a lot of pastors, regardless of their level of awareness, who do not talk directly to it, uh, regardless of how, of how in your face uh, social, issue, social justice issues are uh, at any given time, it's like regardless of whatever, regardless of what people's talking about, regardless of what people are struggling with or dealing with, they're not going to speak to it. So why did you choose to? Why do you choose to? Yeah, I choose to based upon my understanding of who Jesus is, um, who Jesus was and who Jesus is. I read scripture and constantly as I read scripture, I see Jesus speaking directly to the needs of people. He's not just speaking abstractly to your spiritual health and well-being. Jesus is talking to real life people who are dealing with real life circumstances and situations. And he speaks in a way that says, I care about what you're going through here on earth. And I am bringing about a new way of life that is meant that I want to introduce you to not only hereafter, but I want to introduce you to that way of life here and now. And uh, I center my ministry around Matthew 25, when Jesus is saying, you know, if you see somebody who's hungry, what you going to do? You're you going to give them something to eat or you just going to say, you know, I'm praying for you, brother. <laughs> you know, you know, no, you, you got to give them something to eat. If you see someone thirsty, give them something to drink. Someone incarcerated, visit them, and and don't do it um, because I have a relationship. You know, you're you're my friend, so I'm going to help you. But Jesus says, no, you do this to the least of these. You do that to that stranger, that brother, that sister. 
you never met, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I love about Christ. That's what, that, that's what draws me to this faith. And so because of that, I speak to it, you know, I can't avoid it because how can I, how can I encourage your spirit and your soul if I have nothing to say uh, to the, to the condition by which you live in? Like if, if I can't help you figure out uh, how to uh, navigate the unemployment system, if I can't help you understand uh, access to human resources around you, like how can, I, how can I say, you know, I care about your soul, but I don't care about your whole being. And before there was, a, you know, before we, we get into soul care, we got to go back to creation. When God made us, God, God looked upon us and God grew God's breath within us. And the first thing that God says was, it's good. You know, so God looks at, at our whole human self and calls us good. And so mm -hmm. if I am if I am one who is going to profess this faith, then I have to be concerned about the, the whole being of humanity, not just the soul of humanity. Wow. And just to give people a, a tangible example that you are really about what you say you are. Uh, could you explain there's, there's one initiative. I'm not, I'm quite sure you all have done more than this, but one I heard about that I was really impressed by, I think it was during, I think it was your, during your pastor, your pastoral anniversary, uh, one of them anyway. Um, and you shared about the, the boxes that, that you all had, had made. So can you just share what, what that was? So we do this on a regular. So uh, we collect goods um, for uh, our brother, homeless brothers and sisters on a regular basis. And we uh, put them in, at that time it was boxes. Now we've learned uh, to, it's better to carry in the, the string uh, tote bags. Um, and so in these boxes are uh, hygiene products, um, toilet paper, sanitary napkins, um, a number of essential items that our brothers and sisters would need um, to navigate uh, homelessness. And then not only that, we include a card in it, a handwritten card by our members that says something along the lines of, you know, um, we want you to know that God loves you and love you too. Um, and if you need us, here's our contact information. And this is just a way for us to build connections uh, with our brothers and sisters. And so we uh, members pick them up on a regular basis and um, we disperse them in our communities. Anyone that we come across that may be homeless, uh, we just share it, share it with them as a tangible example of God's love. Um, and it, it keeps us uh, mindful that, that there are people around us who are homeless and we ought to do something about it. Um, so it's not just let's stop at the bags, but it's also, you know, how do we get involved in affordable housing, which is, a, a, which is something that we're doing, you know, meeting with the town officials, thinking about how can we use our church property to build some type of housing um, that is either workforce or long-term care uh, for those with disabilities, which are, are at-risk communities for homelessness. Like, so how do we, how do we take it a step further? Um, to do not only that work, but um, a number of different projects that we're doing. So all of our ministry here at the church is centered on how can we be better neighbors? Um, one of the things that I told our congregation when I first got here was if 
if we closed our doors and somebody and, and nobody cared, that means we weren't effective. Um, and by nobody, I, I, I meant not just us, you know, because we're going to care because, it's, you know, it's our church, it's our family church. But I'm, I'm talking about, you know, uh, Brother John, who lives up the street, you know, who doesn't always come to church, but he's he my parishioner because he lives in my community. Right. Or 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 others, you know, around us that we have gotten to know if they did not care that we closed, then we weren't affected. Wow. Well, like I said, I really, truly admire and applaud what you all are doing and have been doing. Um, but to be, to make the most out of this time, I want to get right into talking about your article because I saw it on, I saw it on LinkedIn and it just immediately grabbed my attention. Uh, one, just because of the subject matter itself and also because of the time that we're in right now. So again, the title of the article is rejecting viral images of black death. And I'm so glad I read this article because I mean, I'm, I'm connected with, you know, more than a few people on LinkedIn, but I'm glad I stopped and read this article. It was very good. Uh, the reason, so although I have to say like, I was talking to uh, my wife Monique about it and I was like, I don't exactly agree with everything in the article, but then again, it's like, I don't disagree either. I'm kind of, I'm at a point where I don't know, I don't really know where I am, but the reason I like the article and I want to have you on the podcast is because it made me think, you made me yeah. think about this issue, about these, about, about the issue of the, the propagation of these, of these images in a way that I hadn't before. And you talked about it from an angle that I had, that I hadn't heard before. And at the end of the article, you presented what no one had ever, because I've heard people saying not, to talk, not to show these, these images before, but nobody ever gave a solution. Like, okay, well, instead of this, what should we do? And, and you did. Um, but let me see. At first I was going to, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to just read the introduction for the people, but I'm, I, I, it just sound it just seems kind of silly to me to, to have the author on the show and me be reading their words. So, <laughs> so I'm going to chat you uh this one excerpt could you please read this for for the audience yeah um what value is there in circulating a depiction of innocent black death such an image does not bring solace to those grieving one could argue that as in the case of eric gardner and tamir rice it doesn't even speed up the wheels of justice so i think that's huge because, well, one, I guess when I see these images, I, I assume the value in seeing them and just, I guess, maybe not, maybe not the image being shown, but just the awareness being spread of what happened. But just you asking the question, what value is there? makes me think about it. I was like, yeah. okay, well, so then I, it, it forces me to say what the value is. And what my answer would be you in that, in this one excerpt, you already kind of knock it down. I said, well, I mean, if people see it, they're more likely to, to act and justice is more likely to, to be done in these cases. And then you are, you give two, two historical examples um, of, of Eric Garner and Samir Rice in which those, in which the video evidence did nothing. 
Um, and my question to you, and I, first I was, I was upset because we tried to have this conversation before and for whatever reason, it just, we just had to reschedule and you, you posted this article shortly after the nation became aware of the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. And even since then, it's only been a few months because he was, he was shot down in February, but we became aware of it sort of like mid-March. Mid-March, yeah, yeah. Um, and since then, it's, uh, it's been five months and we are, we're just on the heels right now of the latest, the latest killing of, of an unarmed black person. Uh, Jacob Blake shot seven times in his back while he was walking away. And I, I want to add, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I do want to add that when I had written this piece, I don't even think the perpetrators had yet been arrested mm -hmm. in the Ahmad Arbery case either. Yeah. And so th thank you for bringing up like the, the timeline. And so I, I was going to ask you, has your opinion of this changed? And the reason I ask is because, I mean, had not the video circulated, you know, it's quite possible that like, well, actually, you know, like it wasn't until the video circulated that Arbery's uh, murderers were, were arrested. And not only that, after the tragic death of George Floyd, after that video circulated, it started this mass movement of not just, not just protests, and not just riots, but also this huge resurgence of this, this reconstruction movement where people were getting to the heart or getting closer to the heart of, of systemic institutionalized racism and going and moving past just symbolic, symbolic moves or symbolic representations of, uh, of, of societal sympathy for the plight of black people. It was like, you know, we want some real change. We thank you for kneeling with us, but what are you going to do to make sure that this doesn't happen? How are we going to restructure society? How are we going to, excuse me, how are we going to either defund or refund the police so that they actually help and they actually protect and serve the community like they say they're going to do. So since you wrote this article, and I'm, I would like to have you uh, read some more excerpts because they were powerful. Um, but since you've written this article, has your views, have your views on this changed at all? Since I wrote this article, so I was immediately challenged by others who have the same argument of, well, you know, it took this article um, or it took this video, this image to actually you know, uh, cause some form of change to take place. So we're thankful for the image. Um, and I heard that, I, I hear it, I still receive it. For me, um, black death has been a reality of the American uh, history since 1619. Uh, this is not new to us. This is something that we have been dealing with um, since our uh, force entry into this country. And even since then, we still as a people are, 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 are uh, not 
where we ought to be. We as a country are not where we ought to be as it relates to recognizing the humanity of black and brown people. And to this day, I would still say that the issue is not an issue of being, uh, of not uh, recognizing that this is a problem. We don't need images to, to realize that this is a problem. What we do need uh, is for our white brothers and sisters, as well as some of our uh, black and brown brothers and sisters. I saw that in the D and, uh, in the RNC these, these past few days. <laughs> we, we, we need them to become conscious of a reality that we are living every single day of our lives. And for me, what these images do is, is serve as a form of re-traumatizing me of a reality that I have to wake up with every morning. You know, as a man of color, regardless, I don't have this collar on every day. <laughs> and, and so as a man of color, like I, I run the risk of being a victim Mm -hmm. to police violence and oppression. I, I run the risk of being a victim of white supremacy every morning that I wake up. That's just the reality that I live. And what, what I was trying to say in this article, in this piece, and in general, is that for people who are, are finally being awakened to a reality that we have lived with, um, let me help you out. And let me say to you, uh, don't allow an image to cause you to become conscious. Why don't you get to know us? Why don't you build relationships with us? Why don't you hear our stories and actually listen to them? Why don't you care about us in a way that I don't need an image to validate my experience? The fact that I speak it should be enough validation for you to realize this is a problem. And that's what I'm trying to counter, because what what we are living in is that uh, now white America is saying, oh, this is a problem. And it's only because we can see it now. We're at home, you know, because of because of quarantine and COVID. We were at home and we were in spaces with our families where we had to answer some really hard questions because these images are splattered on the news media. They are splattered across social media. Our children are seeing it and they're asking us, what is this? Why is this happening? As if this just started yesterday, but this has been our reality. Yeah. And if we would have taken the time to listen to each other, they would have known and we could have, we really could have been making some substantial changes about it. So it sounds like you're saying that while, yes, some people are becoming aware of the realities that Black people have lived in for a while because of these images, the fact that it takes the images for them to acknowledge it is the problem, and therefore showing them the image is not solving the problem, it's just kind of validating this state that you say we should not be in. Yes, very true, because, I mean, if we were, if we just juxtapose this to black death versus white death, right? You and I were of age during the uh, war, uh, Iraq war. And we, we heard about 
the brutalities. We heard about um, the beheadings, uh, mm. but national media did not dare circulate those images because it was too horrific. But yet black death is not horrific enough for them not to circulate it. In fact, you know, with the recent uh, shooting that just happened in Wisconsin, you know, I was just on social media, not even looking for it. And then bam, it just pops up, right? It's, it's in circulation. It, it, is, it becomes normal in a way that we are desensitized to it. And that, desensitate, that, that, that form of desensitization is problematic in and of itself. Because we're still, even in death, are having to articulate Black Lives Matter. Jesus. Wow. And I feel like the struggle that I had when I was reading, or yeah, I'll call it that, the struggle that I was having while I was reading your article for the first time is that I, I felt, and I wouldn't be surprised if others felt this way as well, that it's like we're in, in between a rock and a hard place where we don't want to be desensitized from violence, but we also don't want you to ignore what we're going through. And we don't want you to ignore what, what is happening. So we have to show the video and the more we see it, the more we're desensitized we are, but the less you can say you didn't know, you know, and they very quickly, you kind of, you, you, I mean, you hit it right on the head right here, but this other slightly longer excerpt, I would like you to read from your article. It brings up something that it was, uh, Another point that I found really, really interesting. So if you wouldn't mind reading this excerpt as well. Yeah. Our nightly news anchors issue the routine disclaimer. We must warn you this video is disturbing. But is it? If these images are truly disturbing, stop circulating them. Black death cannot be normalized or sensationalized. Doing either will allow America to continue to sweep violence against Black people under the rug. These images are not disturbing enough to raise the awareness of injustice Black people experience as a result of America's original sin of racism. This video is a memento for those who seek to hold on to the supremacy of whiteness in America. These instruments of idolatry must be torn down. Yeah. So that part right there really got me thinking because it, I couldn't deny it. Cause I mean, we, we see it's, this is not just, we don't just have to take pastor Brickhouse's word for it. Like we see people like there's, there's people like us who weep and cry and mourn when we see these videos, but then there's other people who cheer and shout, and laud the, the, the murderers as heroes. And I could definitely say, I was like, wow, they, this is just, you know, stoking the flames of, of idolatry in a lot of our country, fellow countrymen and sometimes, you know, fellow church members. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, this is nothing new. So if you look back, um, during Jim Crow, uh, when there was a number of lynchings, um, they took pictures of these lynchings. They took 
body parts and 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 had the body parts uh, saved in canisters so that people could see uh, the the violence that was uh, imposed upon our ancestors. I mean, for, for crying out loud, George Zimmerman was able to auction off the gun he used uh, in killing uh, Trayvon Martin. So this is nothing new, right? This is this is a reality. There are people who use these images and 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 these momentums as to 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 as forms of idolatry to to show their their pride in their whiteness, which is sin. Yeah, and just I mean, just like I said before, this is something that I was grappling with while I was reading the article, and something that I will continue to grapple with. But I think what's important is that instead of just uh, pushing things under the rug that we don't readily and totally completely agree with. Like we're like when someone presents a biblically sound argument for a change in behavior and a change in policy, I, as a believer, I must, I must at least consider it. I must consider yeah. it. Um, because, you know, the Bible is clear. It's like if you are, if you are engaging in something or not engaging something that you are not sure is, is right or wrong to engage in or not engage in, then that is sin. And I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure that I'm right with the Lord. I want to make sure that my saved and wokeness isn't just during, it isn't on, uh, you know, weekday evenings when I'm having these conversations with you. I want to walk out righteousness and justice the way my father the way my father and the spirit of his father would have me to. Um, and so the last thing I would like to talk about, so you, you, you go into detail and you make, you make a very, very powerful argument as to why these images alone are not going to be enough. Uh, it was, it's funny because I was like highlighting, okay, what do I want to highlight? And I had to stop highlighting because I was like highlighting the whole article. Um, but this is the, the last thing I'm going to have you read for us. It is the final paragraph of your article where you give the solution. Yeah. We must affirm the humanity of all people and repent from the beliefs that black people are either criminals or spectacles. From this point of forward, we must share images that depict the beauty of black life and reject the viral addiction to images of unjust black death. And that part was key because, like I said, I have never heard an alternative. But as I, as I am reading it and hear you read it now, I'm asking myself, well, is this, is this commandment, I'll call it that, is this really for, is this for, is this for black people? Is this for like the black church? Or is because it seems like this is in an, uh, a command that you would give to our lighter skinned brothers and sisters because it's like it's them who's touting these images yeah yeah go ahead you're, you're absolutely right when i wrote that i was thinking about my white brothers and sisters mm -hmm. um because for and i and even uh some of us darker hue people who don't always have the sensibility that our lives matter as well mm -hmm. um because we have been uh, assimilated into this larger thinking. So, and, and they exist. Um, but I was, I was thinking about 
are, are those who need to realize that not only do our lives matter, but our voice matters. Mm-hmm. We are human. You know, I think about the iconic uh, poster that was in the civic rights movement that says, I am a man, yeah. right? We have to affirm our humanity every day that we are on earth. Not, and, and we don't do it for ourselves because I believe we know we are human, or most of us do, but we have to do that for others who do not always see us as human. Um, they see us as lesser than, they see us as other, that we are always in the othering position. And for them, I was saying to them, you need to affirm our humanity. Use, use that privilege and power that you have, um, not to pity me, um, but use that power and privilege to affirm the fact that you recognize that I bleed just like you, that I breathe just like you, that I live and walk and have my being. You know, God created both of us. And so affirm that in a way that it doesn't take these images. And, and so, you know, affirm it by having conversations with me, not making assumptions about me, but talking to me. And, and, and not, talking, uh, not talking at me, but actually listening, right? To hear my story, to, to learn from where I come from and, and to learn my experiences and not to listen in a way that it just makes you feel good or affirm your, affirm your views, uh, because that's something that we often do. In fact, um, my wife would be happy to hear me say that one of the things that she challenges me on as her partner and her husband is, Mike, listen to me. Don't don't talk to me just so you can prove yourself right. Actually, hear what I have to say, uh, and sit with it, right? And so that's what I'm asking for our brothers and sisters to do: hear what we have to say and sit with, with sit with the reality, right? Sit with the fact that uh, you yourself may be prejudiced and even racist. You know, sit with that reality, but know that. Just like all of us, that's not how the story can end, that there's redemption possible, that repentance is available to all of us. Grace abounds um, so that once we do repent, we can do what the word actually means, which is change our ways, change our nature, and move towards the beloved community that we should live in. And that, you know, is not just one moment. And that's the problem, right, that I, I have with the times that we live in. People think that it's just, you know, we do this one thing now and that's it. No, you know, every day I have to repent. Every day I have to affirm my brother and my sister's humanity. That's something that we, we live into. That's, that's what it means to pick up our cross and follow him. Like, that's, that's the cross that we have to carry, not just momentarily, but every day of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're committed to this work. Now, if you're not committed to this work, that's a whole nother story. But if you call yourself a, a believer um, and call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then it's a commitment that you sign up for, not just the moment you say, Lord, I give my life to you and that's it. No, this is a journey 
a spiritual journey, a, a moral journey, a physical journey that we are a part of every single day of our lives. Hmm. Well, I honestly don't think I can follow up with anything better. Uh, but as you were speaking, I was still, I could still couldn't help but think of how difficult it will be for us to get to a place when not even just, not even the nation, but the American church, when we, when everyone affirms, not just everyone's humanity, but everyone's status as an image bearer of God. And really all we can do, all we can do when we get to these places. And I think, I think this is good. Cause I, I, sometimes I have to remind myself of some of the things that I say, and I'm sure as a pastor, you've probably gone back and heard a message and be like, Hmm, that was me. Dang. <laughs> At least I've heard the ministers do that often. Um, being encouraged by their own, being encouraged or convicted by their own um, message. And one, one post of mine that I will paraphrase for uh for now is that i remember i posted something that said you know injustice has to be huge and racism has to be big and almost in and and seemingly insurmountable because that's the only way that god will get the glory from dismantling it because if it was small enough or compact enough for for us to organize it away for us to even vote it away then I mean, what glory is, is left for God if man can accomplish it? And I know we, we are definitely his hands and feet and we are, we are his workmen, but we have, God can only do what he can do. And for him to be glorified, things have to show up that only he, he could show up. Like uh, the Israelites could not, the Israelites could not, uh, they couldn't deliver themselves. They needed a deliverer, and while Moses was a, a, a chief mouthpiece and an instrument of God, it was God Himself who did who did the delivering. Um, did you have one one thing else to say before we go into prayer? I would just say that in hearing you, it just reminds me of what Jesus told His disciples uh, before. Uh, he departed and he reminded them that you shall do greater works than I. And what you are articulating is the call that has already been given to us. This is a part of the greater work that we are called to do. And we should not run away from it as difficult as it may be. It's still the assignment that we're called to do. Yes, sir. And as you were saying that, as you reminded me of what Jesus said, I remember the Holy Spirit reminded me something else when Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble, but, uh, but may not for I have overcome the world. Uh, and so with that, we're just going to go to God in prayer. Uh, Lord God, we give you glory, honor, and praise because you are worthy. You are King of Kings and you are Lord of Lords. You are Alpha and Omega beginning and the end. There was no God like you. There is no God beside you. You are God by yourself. And you are sovereign, Lord God. We know that Romans 8, 28, in spite of it all, is true, that you are working all things for the good of those, for those who love you and who are called according to your purpose, Lord God. And we just ask now that you help to encourage us so that we maintain hope and strengthen us, Father God, so that we continue to do your work. We don't want to, we're not asking strength to get by. We're asking strength to do your work. 
Lord God, to, to step up to the calling that Pastor Brickhouse just reminded us of. Lord God, help us to do it. Help us to do it in your spirit. Lord God, I pray that you would keep us from trying to do godly work without the spirit of God, which is so easy to happen, Lord God. Help us to, re to, to repent when we need to, Lord God. Help us to be aware of our own shortcomings, Father God. Help us to graciously and boldly walk in your justice and in your truth, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that you would open up the ears of our brothers and sisters who up, and, up until now have been blind or have blinded themselves to the humanity and to, to, to the humanity of black and brown brothers and sisters, Lord God. I pray that you would just stop the lies, stop up the lies and that tell people that uh, anything related to social justice or affirming the, the humanity of black and brown people, uh, of, of poor people, of people of so lower socioeconomic status, of people with criminal records, Lord God, of people with disabilities, Lord God, uh, as just uh, liberal propaganda, Lord. But no, it's actually, but I pray that they would hear and that they receive and believe that no, this is more than just. Uh, humanitarian fluff lord god this is biblical truth and we just pray that your will be done in our neighborhoods in a in our churches in our communities and throughout our nation in jesus name lord i just ask that as we see those who are in need that you would strengthen us to respond not to ever turn our backs on anyone, but to remember God, that you loved us while we were yet your enemies, you died for us. Mm -hmm. Therefore help us to do what your word has told us to do, to love you with our whole heart, mind and strength, and to love neighbor as we love ourselves. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Michael, thank you again so, so much. I really appreciate your time. Before we get off, could you please uh, let everyone know where we can, how we can follow you on social media, how we can uh, look up your church and join you all for, yeah. for service uh, if we wish, and how we can also uh, look up some of your other work. Yeah, wonderful. So uh, you can follow me uh, on all social media platforms at mxbrickhouse. Um, that is Instagram, Twitter, as well as Facebook. You can also follow the church at Carry First CC. Carry First CC. That's at uh, Twitter as well as Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, our website is available. Um, all of our sermons are on our church YouTube channel, uh, which is Carry First Christian Church. Uh, and we are now, because of COVID, still worshiping virtually uh, via Facebook Live and YouTube Live Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. So please come out and join us. And for my written work, um, uh, it is published in Sojourner's Magazine, as well as another piece will be coming out this next week in Faith and Leadership. So I'll be on the lookout for that. And all of that is on our social media. 
Thank you so much, brother. Um, I know you have to go deliver a sermon right now. So thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to the next time I can get you on the podcast. Enjoyed it and look forward as well. You have a good one, all right? All right, you too. Peace. Be blessed. That's it for today, y'all. You can keep up with your boy on Instagram at I am Juan Toussaint. And you can keep up with the show at Saved and Woke. And as always, until next time, keep the faith and stay woke.